Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number nine of the Mandolins and Beer podcast, brought to you in part by one of my favorite websites, The Mandolin Cafe. Here we go, episode number nine, the Mandolins and Beer podcast. This week's guest, Tommy Norris from the Barefoot Movement, great mandolin player. He's also got two mandolin books out through Mel Bay, Theory and Improvisation for the Modern Mandolinist. Um, They're both great. Um, If you are kind of newish to the mandolin, I would definitely recommend volume one. Um, If you've been playing a while, though, volume two, which is uh, Jazz and Beyond, has got a whole bunch of incredible stuff in it and um today is october 2nd i guess if you're listening to this the day it came out and uh, mel bay's got a coupon if you go to mandolin cafe who's a sponsor of this podcast um if you go to the front page they have a a 30 off everything uh coupon code for mel bay through october 2nd so i would highly recommend getting one or both of those books and i believe they're in print and ebooks as well and speaking of books Uh, Just today, David Benedict, guest number one on the Mandolins of Beer podcast, just announced he's putting out um, the transcriptions for his last album, The Golden Angle. There's some incredible mandolin playing on there, and David's uh, an incredible musician. He's put a ton of tab and notation out before for a lot of his stuff, and it's always really high-quality stuff, and he has got a Kickstarter going for it right now. So if you go to... um, You can go to my page um, on Facebook mandolins and beer and i've got a link to the kickstarter you can go to david benedict's page he's got a kickstarter on there as well and you can get the book he's putting out a print version and a a pdf version which is downloadable as well so check that out again that's very exciting it's a great album um and i've already ordered one so support support your buddy david there uh, once again, I want to welcome back this week's sponsor again on the podcast, along with the Mandolin Cafe, is Scott Enlow's Woodworking. Um, uh, if you didn't listen to last week's podcast, I mentioned before Scott was a sponsor last week. He makes these killer mandolin stools that are in the shapes of mandolins. You got to see them to uh, to really kind of get an idea of what they look like. They're they're great, um, and they're built with the finest hardwoods, and they're detailed with inlaid strings, bridge, tailpiece, and sound holes. And they are one-of-a-kind stools as unique as your own picking style. Add that special look to your practice or performance space. Scott is also a mandolin player, so he's kind of part of this mandolin family. He also builds boats. You can see pictures of his work at scottsboatworks.com, or you can go to Scott Enlow Woodworking on Facebook. Enlow is spelled E-N-L-O-E. Or you can also go to mandolinsandbeer.com, and I will have a link to... His page underneath the description. I also have some pictures of the stools. They're they're incredible looking. He's obviously a gifted a gifted woodworker. So tis the season coming up here on the holidays. So get yourself the perfect gift from Scott Enlow Woodworking. Um, yeah, I'm gonna make this just real quick today. I'm kind of feeling a little under the weather. So I just want to thank everybody for listening. Um, if you want to support the podcast, I always recommend the best way to do it is the cheapest way. It's free. Just subscribe to the podcast or tell your mandolin-loving friends. Maybe talk about it on social media. Share a link. You can also go to my website, mandolinsandbeer.com, and you can get yourself a shirt or stickers or koozie or all three. 
And then also I've got a Spotify playlist, as you noticed before, if you've listened to this podcast, you can um, hear segments of songs that we're discussing on here. And if you want to hear the full versions, you can just go to uh, Spotify and type in mandolins and beer playlist. Or again, you can go to my website and I've got a link to it there. It's growing. There's a ton of great music on there, too. Um, and it's so random, you know, it's kind of everybody's influences and and, um, you know, obviously Sam Bush is on there a bunch. Bill Monroe, Thiele, but also a lot of really cool jazz stuff. This week, some Charlie Parker, Brad Meldow from when we talked with Joe Walls. So all sorts of great stuff. And speaking of great stuff, got Tommy Norris coming up. And then the next three guests as well are incredible. We've got Jake Jolliffe, Matt Flinner, and Mike Marshall. Already recorded and ready to go. So those are the next three episodes that are coming out. Be sure to hit subscribe. and Go to my Patreon page, patreon.com slash mandolinsandbeer. And um, let's get to Tommy Norris, everybody. Have a great week. Cheers. Thanks for listening. And now I'd like to welcome to the Mandolins and Beer podcast, Mr. Tommy Norris. Tommy, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing great, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Sure. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. No problems. So you're in Nashville, you were saying earlier? Yeah, actually in uh, Hendersonville, which is a little suburb of Nashville. But, yeah. You know. Nice but, area, man. N- Nashville, though, I, I, w- I would still consider it Nashville. Nice, oh, yeah. <laughs> nice to be a little outside of the uh, a little be- a little outside of the city, though. I imagine. Yeah, which is nice. You know, like kind of being away from the traffic when I want to be. <laughs> oh man, the traffic is insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it just seems to be every time I come up there. Maybe like once or twice a year, I get up there from Charleston here, and. Uh, I'm like, wow, I, I didn't know it could get busier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just it keeps kind of getting worse and worse. So yeah. We'll see what happens. And we'll probably be like L.A. in a few years. Yeah, no kidding. So uh, how long have you been <laughs> in Nashville for? About five years, I think, five or six years. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, I used to live in East Tennessee and then before that, North Carolina. So I just kind of keep moving West, I guess. (laughs) Nice. Nice. That's awesome. So let's, um, before we get too far into it, let's start off with how about just, uh, give people, if they aren't familiar with you, give us a little bio about you. Yeah. Well, um, so like I said, I'm from North Carolina and, um, I, I guess my musical bio is I started playing drums in middle school band. Oh, nice. Um, that was my first instrument. Um, and then I, in high school, my dad had a guitar, so I just kind of picked that up, started learning that a little bit here and there, mm-hmm. and then moved to electric guitar. Um, and I was playing in rock bands and stuff in high school. Um, so I didn't really grow up with bluegrass that much. I mean, you know, being from North Carolina, you're around it, uh, whether you want to be or not, you know, <laughs> so it, it was there, you know, and I, I had nothing against it or anything. I just, you know, was more into classic rock, you know, Kendrick Zeppelin, that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Me too. That's, um, I, I actually started as a drummer myself. Oh, nice. Yeah. So. Sounds like we have parallel lives. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, so I was, uh, you know, playing electric guitar and then I met, uh, Noah, who is, uh, the lead singer of the band. Mm-hmm. I'm in, uh, which is the barefoot movement. We started playing together as a duo 
called uh, Noah and Me. You know, awful uh, name. But um, oh man, there's way worse. <laughs> there's way worse. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I was playing guitar, but um, she had a mandolin, and then in college, um, I borrowed her mandolin and the story goes I never gave it back so I kind of <laughs> fell in love and and, I, and uh yeah I, I went to Western Carolina University and uh you know I was a music major and uh, I had to play an instrument and I was kind of getting into mandolin at that time um but they you know being a more of a traditional music school they didn't have a mandolin teacher of course so I had to play a different instrument um, so I was doing classical guitar in music school, but then um, I just kept finding myself. I would always be practicing mandolin and just kind of doing just enough on guitar to kind of pass <laughs> classes and things like that. Yeah. Um, then I started getting into um, jazz ensembles and stuff, playing oh, cool. mandolin. Oh, nice. So that was the only thing I could do um, kind of in the music school with the mandolin. Mm-hmm. Um, the jazz professors there were really nice and let me kind of join these small jazz combos and yeah, things. Yeah, it's nice. Um, but I always say that the mandolin was the uh, first instrument that I really honed in on, and I just, like, really focused um, on uh, just technique and practicing and, you know, spending five hours a day or whatever in college, you know, working on an instrument. I never really had done that before. Yeah. It was kind of a hobby, you know. What do you think it was about the mandolin that drew you to it so much? Well, I, you know, I I guess that the percussive element, you know, coming from playing drums, right. I, I kind of was drawn to that. Absolutely. Um, and I like just having uh, the melodic, just um, just the range of the mandolin. You know, it's kind of a little higher range than the uh, guitar, so you know, melody just kind of fit on it in a different way, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so it's kind of like it was like the perfect hybrid of like pretty much a drum, like a percussive <laughs> right. instrument, and and a nice melody instrument, but it still you know has the chords too. It just kind of can do a little bit of everything. Yeah, it's kind of how I looked at it, you know, whether that's true or not. But, I, yeah, um, I think I think that is pretty true. I think it also frees you up. Like I I think sometimes, especially with like melody playing, when you're playing melody stuff solo on a mandolin, feels way more musical to me than if I'm just like picking on a guitar and picking a melody. You know, I mean. I guess I would liken it to like a probably maybe like a really good finger style guitarist maybe feels that sort of independence where you can like you can sit down and 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 play you know an instrumental tune on a mandolin and it's pretty instantly recognizable and sounds full as it is probably because the double courses of strings where for a guitar I never really got that out of it you know right yeah and I think that was a uh, the reason that I was drawn kind of away from guitar because when I was playing with Noah, it was mostly just strumming chords. Oh, that sure. kind of thing. Uh-huh. Which got... not to say, I mean, obviously that the guitar is one of the most versatile instruments out there. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I played classical guitar, so, you know, finger, like you said, fingerstyle guitar, mm-hmm. you know, has a lot of uses. You can play melody and um, harmony and bass lines and stuff all at the same time. Right. Um, but, you know, from a band perspective, I felt like on mandolin, I had more room to play melodic lines and stuff um where the guitar is kind of more focused on keeping the rhythm sure absolutely so what was the uh, was there like yeah. a uh, was there a cd mandolin wise that you uh 
that you that really kind of drove you in a particular direction at first when you started playing? A CD? Or a CD, like an album, or you know what I mean, like something. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I was just, I was just making sure that's what you said. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I really, I because I didn't grow up in the bluegrass world. I kind of had to, um, you know, take it in a bite at a time, kind of working backwards sure. for more modern stuff. Um, so of course, you know, Chris Steely was a huge influence. Yeah. Early on. Absolutely. Um, the early Nickel Creek stuff. taught me how to play the mandolin um taught me technique and that kind of thing especially the first knuckle creek album oh yeah now that i could play it <laughs> but you know it you know just uh i think theory is the ultimate study in technique in general unbelievable so, um unbelievable yeah so you know i, I kind of started there and then Worked my way back to, you know, New Grass Revival, Sandbush, and then kept going back until eventually you hit Bowman Road. <laughs> you know, yep. and uh, but I guess I kind of did it backwards. I did the right. uh, the exact same thing. Cool, man. So we have very again more more parallel lines. That's awesome. Yeah, and I think that uh, Steely has done that to a lot of people. You know, a lot of the younger generation. He he's kind of really brought a lot of people into the bluegrass fold by being more progressive with Nickel Creek and even more progressive with Munch Brothers. You know. people to the mandolin um so yeah i think that's great so you're at school He's incredible for sure oh yeah so when you were doing the duo um what kind of music were you guys doing then yeah uh, it was i i guess you would say just general americana folk music mm -hmm. you know when when you start talking about acoustic music as i'll say um and even you know modern progressive bluegrass and stuff you have trouble there's not there's only so many words you know? I mean, <laughs> right. like you know in rock you have you know all kind of like acid rock metal classic rock prog rock all these all these terms but you know in our world it's pretty much you have americana folk bluegrass <laughs> right. newgrass acoustic i guess you know what i mean so um it's kind of hard to explain but i, I it was similar to barefoot movement music because it's always been mm -hmm. uh noah's songwriting um, yeah that's what i like and I, I'm, uh, when we get to talk about that but it's one thing i really do enjoy about the songwriting is it's definitely you got all those elements especially you got bluegrassy elements of stuff but definitely um definitely more songwriting singer songwriter i don't know singer songwriter against throwing terms at or whatever americana but i think that's what makes the song so unique um as well as they're yeah. also really really good songs that don't necessarily fall into a formula which, you know, sometimes, and again, there's nothing wrong with formulas. They obviously work. It's why they have them. Um, 
but I definitely am more drawn to stuff that's a little bit outside the formulaic box a lot of times. Yeah, and I think that some of that's just inevitable for us because none of us really grew up <laughs> playing bluegrass. Right, right. You know? So it's, you know, we, we take and we learn, you know, we go back and we respect it and we're going to, you know, we're going to learn about bluegrass and, you know, where it came from, what it is and stuff. But we also have all these other influences that, you know, stuff we did grow up with that are, they're going to inevitably push through. Yeah. You know, in the that's... songwriting and arranging and things. Who who do you think would be a big influence that kind of comes through in your playing that is not necessarily mandolin based? Hmm. Um, you know, well, I, I want to say Charlie Parker, but that yeah. kind of makes me sound pretentious. Ah, not at you all, man. I mean? but... No, no, not at all. You know, early on playing in the jazz combos in school, mm-hmm. um, learning a lot of Miles and Charlie Parker. Yeah. Um, really, I think, influenced just the way I think about improvisation and soloing and playing. Um, so they're, they've been a big influence in general on the mandolin, I think. Yeah. Um, you That's know, a more modern example is I really love Julian Lodge's playing. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, I, I used to say if if I could be a player, I'd want, but like any player I could be, I, I would want to be want to have the technique of Feely, but the kind of musicality of Julian Lodge. Yeah, that'd know? be a that'd be a pretty um, that's a pretty killer combination right there too. <laughs> right. He's influenced me just, you know, just the way he phrases and things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, a lot, a lot of things from the jazz world, I would say. Yeah, overall. that's awesome. And how long was yeah. that? How long were you at school for, for jazz? Um, well, or for so music, it, I should uh, say, for music. Yeah, uh, I actually, I started at, in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, the first year, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... Uh, you know, kind of just did the, you know, liberal arts gen ed stuff um, the first year, but then I transferred to Western and I was there for three years. Nice. Um, and it was actually a, uh, it was a music major with a focus in audio engineering. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. That's awesome, man. But some of the, some advice from school, I guess, school advice and, and getting out there and playing advice a lot of times seem like two different things. Do you have a thing that you picked up from school that's kind of helped you uh, carry on in the success that you've that you're experiencing currently hmm. um i really i guess practice regimen mm-hmm. um yeah, what, what's your practice you regimen look like man well it's, on, it's on, a, on a good day <laughs> yeah but on a good day right <laughs> um i just it i really break i don't have like a set like for 10 minutes i'm going to do this for <laughs> 10 minutes sure. um but just in general when practicing technique um and i spend a lot of time practicing technique 
I just really, really break it down to the simplest it can go. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? What is your hand doing? Um, if I can't play something like really analyze the, the exact moment where I, where I'm physically unable to do something and isolating that and practicing and making an exercise out of it, whether it's like some sort of cross picking thing, mm -hmm. I'll just break down. This is this, I think this is a simple example. I would break down, um, just the motion between the two strings that I'm tripping up on and just practice that for, you know, hours or whatever sure yeah yeah absolutely um, that and um uh practice you know actually practicing improvising and soloing and stuff mm -hmm. and then learning tunes are kind of i guess uh the three pillars of my practice schedule nice <laughs> the first tune that i really i think heard by you guys was off your live in la that my little darling solo in that was what caught my ear right away because you have a couple really cool you know like classic monroe sort of uh stuff but then also some really quick picking you know and then you go into bowling green and it doesn't seem to lose any of the any of the drive or any of the um uh, you know any of the melody it's just it's uh, really good i mean it's I'm, I'm really impressed by it i just wonder how you maybe break that down a little uh, bit oh thank you uh i would say that's not something that i've actually even really thought about oh, no kidding. <laughs> as far as you know, transitioning from um the only when i think transition the only things that i've felt like i've had to focus on is coming in and out of samoa mm -hmm. um because that can be tough you know because your pick it might land you might end on up right upstroke or you know or downstroke and you got to be prepared to kind of compensate mm -hmm. for that um but in general um for, uh, when I first started playing mandolin, um, because I came from guitar, um, and specifically electric guitar, <laughs> my right hand technique was crap. Ah, you know what I, mean? right. I didn't, I didn't know how to pick. I didn't, I didn't know any of that stuff. It was all hammer-ons, bends, pull-offs, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, and you know, when you pick up a mandolin, you try to do that stuff. You're like, wait a minute, it doesn't. You know, yeah, this you don't have that sustain, so you can't really play all left hand like you can on electric guitar and even acoustic guitar you know to a certain extent sure um and i was lucky enough to have a roommate that i just met um named chalmers who was a, a bluegrass guitarist and um so he kind of showed me the ropes you know early on of you know right hand technique of picking every note um and i think because of that uh, I worked on right hand technique almost that was all I worked on mm -hmm. for a while when right. I first started playing. Um, and I don't remember who said this exactly, but, um, I like to tell students that I, I would argue the right hand is more important than the left hand Sure. where, you know, to people that don't play music or just starting, they think, wow, your left hand's moving so fast, mm -hmm. you know, but take away the right hand and you're just moving your left hand. Yeah. You know, the right hand is, uh, you know, which you could, you can make the argument in reverse, but, um, the right hand is where your tone comes from. Mostly. Absolutely. Um, it's the, it's literally 
what's making the noise, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, so, I'd agree. I think the right hand. I don't know if like, that answers your question. To- yeah, no, but, it totally does. It makes complete sense you that know. you would that you're so focused on your right hand because I think it's really seamless. It would also make sense where you maybe even not- never notice that because you work on it so much. <laughs> right, and you know, speaking of that, uh, while we're talking about right hand, yeah. I, uh, when I first started playing, I gripped the pick too tightly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then uh, the tension just went from my hand all the way up to my shoulder. <laughs> yeah. And I used to get these terrible knots. And then I had to, you know, where some of that was also lifting my right shoulder, which some of it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. Sure. But um, just one thing that helped me, which is, is just really separating how loud you're playing versus how tight you're gripping the pick because your brain wants to like, oh, I'm playing louder. Let's grip the pick tighter, I guess, to make sure we don't drop it. Right. You know, but you don't really, you know, your your volume doesn't come from how tight you're gripping the pick. It comes from your wrist. You right, know, right. And yeah. your arm. That's a great piece of advice, man. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's definitely helpful. So then, so um, was there a piece of jazz music that you, when you were at school, and you t- we talked a little bit, you know, about learning tunes, transcribing tunes. What was the first song that you recall, like, you got done playing it after working on it for a long time. You're like, holy cow, I've, I've, I just learned this song. To the part, maybe not note for note if that wasn't necessarily the goal, but where you were just like, wow, I, what an accomplishment. Do you, like, can you recall the first time that happened? Hmm. I guess in a jazz sense, uh, what, when some, a song that like really clicked with me when I learned it and when I actually learned how to uh, improvise over it was uh, Blues for Alice. Mm-hmm. by uh, Charlie Parker. Yeah. And uh, because, you know, it's called blues, but it's definitely, it's a bebop blues. They had all these chords mm-hmm. in between. Um, and really breaking down and learning how to uh, hit all those tonalities um, for every chord and like, you know, switch scales or arpeggios, whatever, however you're thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Every chord, you know, when, I, when that finally clicked, I was like, okay, I feel like I can play some jazz now for real you know what I mean right Um, right so that that might be the only example I can think of sure no that's a great example Um, though no that's uh that's perfect. So when did you decide to go from Noah and me to barefoot movement? (laughs) Well, um, you know, high school was kind of a long time ago. Mm -hmm. So there's, it's, it's been a journey, um, but technically the barefoot movement, the first show that was played as the barefoot movement was in 2007. Okay, cool. And, uh, now, so we've had uh, a lot of different members over the years, uh-huh. um, but Barefoot Movement was born because Noah and me, <laughs> uh, we uh, were looking for uh, other members, you know, especially when I was like, hey, I want to play mandolin. It's like, okay, well, we need a guitar player. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, and Noah had been going to community college with uh, Andrew Marlin from Mandolin Orange. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and so... And this was, you know, way before Mandolin Arms. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, you know, became good friends. And we all three started playing music together. Um, and so 
we, the bear, I guess theoretically, the first bear from him at lineup was Noah and I and Andrew, and then one of our other friends that played bass named Amber. Nice. Um, and we played a few shows in 2007. Uh, but then we went off to college, and Andrew stayed um, in the Triangle of North Carolina, mm-hmm. and kind of and the Verifum movement went on, but he kind of went in his own direction because of geographic restrictions. Sure. In college. Yeah. And and then it just kind of rolled from there. Did you did you do a lot of um? Did you record first, then tour? As far as when you guys really started taking up the like when you decided like okay, we this we got something going here. What's the What's the next step in pursuing? Yeah, it that? was. We played. Uh, we played during. Um, we played uh, during the summers. Um, in between college, you know, when we had, had summers off, we'd play some shows. Mm-hmm. Noah booked booked shows for us, and um, we had some different members come in and out. Um, then when I got out of college, um, then we started really trying to go full time, and um, and then we. And, uh, sorry, I'm thinking, no, you're um, fine. <laughs> I would say, you know, about five years ago, uh, Alex, maybe it's six years ago, joined the band. Um, there's our current guitar player. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the true, like starting point. Like, okay. We're going full time at this point. You know I mean? We're, we're going to be a band full time. Yeah. Um, even though we did have some albums before that. Okay. Sure. Um, so it's kind of a convoluted story just because of band lineup changes, college, yeah, and that kind of thing. Um, it's it's not very linear, so it's kind of it's kind of hard to it's it's a long story. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no worries. Just try to get like you know like a sense of how you know you guys have been pretty successful in what you're doing, and and you obviously have worked really really hard. I mean, it looks like you play played a lot of shows, um, which again, I you know falls hand in hand with getting better playing with people or playing with the same people. Once you find that, like, you know, that lineup, that's, that's really clicking and things like that. And I'm, I'm always interested to see how that works out. Cause it is, it's, it's a tough grind to do it, you know, with the same amount of people, let alone some lineup changes and still carry on and, and do, you know, put out quality music and, and, and all that good stuff. Yeah. And I think when you start as young as we were, um, lineup changes and stuff is almost inevitable because people are just trying to figure out what they want to do with their life. Sure. And the road life isn't glamorous. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So you like some members just didn't want to be on the road anymore and you can't fault Mm. them for that. Sure. So, um, yeah. So, you know, we just figured it out over the years and just kept, you know, booking and booking and, um, then eventually we got a booking agent. Now we have a manager. So it, you know, it's been a slow but steady climb. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that's awesome. And you guys also did some overseas touring, correct? Um, so we've only been overseas once. Okay, and that was to uh, Africa. Oh, that's um, okay. yeah, yeah. It was, it's it's kind of a crazy story because the ambassador, U.S. ambassador at a country, at Burkina Faso is the name of the country. Mm-hmm. A lot of people haven't heard of it. Um, it's in West Africa. Um, so the ambassador, his wife, was a huge bluegrass fan um, from Kentucky. Huh. And somehow she knew a radio guy, I think, from Knoxville, mm-hmm. um, 
who then recommended us. So it was just just kind of weird circumstance. And so we got asked to go um, play their 4th of July party in Burkina Faso. And while we were there, we did a lot of outreach also. I think we stayed two weeks and we, um, you know, we played for some orphanages and schools yeah. um, and other things like that. That's um, awesome, man. So yeah, it was great. It was really rewarding. And I bet, um, but yeah, that was the only time we've, technically been overseas cool. to play music. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah. What a cool what a cool experience though. Oh yeah. Okay. So, so when you guys play live, do you um let's let's do some nerdy gear talk if you're cool with that. Sure. Yeah, so what uh, what do you I've seen some videos where it looks like you play around one mic or do you always do a one mic sort of thing or do you guys plug in as well or So that's um we've kind of expanded um mm -hmm. over the years when we first started playing um, we, it was one microphone and then a baseline, and that was it. Wow. Like one condenser microphone. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's great to kind of cut your teeth on that because it, it teaches you a lot of things about balance and, um, and it's good to be able to do that because still the, every once in a while we'll play a show where we need to use one mic just right. because of the way the venue is or something. Mm -hmm. Um, but then the next step was we were saying, um, you know, the guitar and mandolin just were not being heard as much as we would like. Sure. And so we eventually, Alex and I got uh, clip-on microphones. Oh, okay. Um, and then we we had a change in bass player. And our older bass player, uh, she was really short. And so it kind of worked with the one mic because uh, she was short and Noah is also short. So they can kind of share a little bit. But our new bass player is taller. Okay. <laughs> um and, and so with Noah being so short, um, the guys, pretty much everyone else now will, will have back problems if we do one mic every night. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. just trying to, like, you know, get in there and sing. Um, so because of that, we, we've now kind of everyone has their own microphone and, nice. um, and clip-on mic or whatever they use for that. Yeah, what kind of clip-on um, mic do you use? We still use this uh, – uh, sorry, we still use the uh, center microphone for soloing the – we oh, still have a nice. microphone. Oh, okay, cool. Where we'll use it as a boost, yeah. Um, uh, as far as uh, clip-on mics, uh, I was using the DPA, mm -hmm. um, and I, the sound of the DPA is incredible. I love it. But I, I recently switched to a Shirtler, a little clip-on button, not oh, a clip-on, yeah. but a little, it's like a little button yeah. contact microphone. Nice. Um, and partly because just the way the this road wear on the DPA stuff, it just they just weren't lasting. The accessories weren't lasting very long. Um and so I wanted something a little more durable mm -hmm. and something that would fight feedback a little better. Sure. So I made a slight sacrifice in sound, you know, quality. But um that surely sound really good though, I think. A lot louder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think so too. Yeah. It, it's kind of a nice medium between a straight pickup and a and a full-on clip-on condenser. Yeah. Do you run into a preamp? Uh, actually, we have uh, in-ear monitors, so oh, I run okay. it through um, our in-ear rig and, and run some EQ and stuff and run it out to the front of house. Oh, nice. Um, that way I don't have to, you know, tell the sound guy every night how to EQ the mandolin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so I just kind of do it myself, yeah. What's your in-ear in rig? Is it um, that you use? Is it like an iPad sort of rig or is it a regular mixer or? Uh, it's it's an iPad. We did have a mixer 
uh, like a little pre-sawness mixer rack mm-hmm. that we used to use, but just with uh, flying and stuff, it just made more sense to, we just have a little Behringer X-Air now. That's, with, uh, I use that live you know, you, every, every show and it's, the, I love it, man. It's yeah, I mean, so it's, it's easy great to use. for that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What's your um? What's your main mandolin? I play. Uh, I think it's 2000. I don't remember the year. I'm gonna say 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fruka. Oh, nice. Five. Yeah, which is uh, if you don't know Fruka, he's a uh, builder out of the Czech Republic yep. that makes banjos and mandolins. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. You're the first person I've talked to who's who's um who's owned one. That's cool, man. Definitely heard of them. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, that's great. What about picks and strings? So, um, I use the uh, I've tr- I use blue chip picks, and mm-hmm. I've uh, tried pretty much every blue chip pick. There is. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but I keep coming back to the uh, to the CT fifty five. Yeah. You know, I think Feely was on to something for sure. You know, when he designed, you know, worked with uh, blue chip to design that pick, and I think it. I, for me, it's the, the way I play. I think it's the best sounding. Um, so yeah, yeah, I love that, that one. Yeah, that's <laughs> a great one too. I've been using a little bit of a thinner one lately, but I still have my CT fifty five. I'm the same way, man. It's just like you know, like always on the quest. I'm ordering picks like crazy. You know what I mean? Anytime, even though I know I'm probably just going to fall back to the same one, I'm like, well, you never know. This one for two dollars might be the one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I just recently bought a uh, a Gilchrist pick. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and it, they're actually pretty good you know it's um it, it they would be good as a kind of a backup if i like lose the the ct or sure. something yeah um, the, the guitar player I play with the same way will be every now and again he'll just play hey man check this out he's got a fistful of pock, you know, picks in his pocket that he just bought online and so <laughs> that always helps it saves me from having to spend all the money all the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you know it's I, i'm at the point where i've used the the 55 so long that I don't even think about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that there is a little bit of a, uh, I guess a learning curve, it, however small when you're, when you're going with a new pick, um, that you can, you can overthink it and be like, well, this doesn't feel good. And just, you know, constantly cycle through a bunch of picks. But once you get used to a pick, you don't even think about it anymore. Even if it didn't feel great at first. Right. Um, Absolutely. So that, yeah, so that's, I guess, that's kind of my pick philosophy is uh, <laughs> go find something that you like and stick with it. Yeah. And then you'll, you know, because it'll be small, but if you switch picks, you you might not be able to play as well. Yeah. Oh, for sure. That's always the worst is if I uh, drop one and can't find where it went and then I'm trying to race to my <laughs> case or whatever. And, you know, I'm just like, oh, no, and throws me the whole night. Or if we play like in Charleston, I live in, I mentioned Charleston, but we'll do gigs on like docks every now and again. Where you drop a pick and it's, you know, it's going in the water and you'll yeah. never find it. So then, you know, you don't, you're definitely not a blue chip gig. And so that's been the other thing is just going through. Um, I found actually I bought like a Fender True Shell pick, which I just saw at a music store one time. And um, I didn't like it, but then I beveled the edges a little bit. It's the same shape as like the CT55 yeah. is. But once I beveled it, it really smoothed it out a little bit. So that is my, uh, that is usually my official uh over the water, <laughs> over the water pick it seems to do the <laughs> trick, but it's still, it, it, but it blows it. It's still, it's like in my mind, the minute we start, I'm like, Oh, 
I should have maybe played with this a couple gigs before this one because I feel uncomfortable. You know, it's like playing with like a coffee saucer or whatever, even though the, you know, the actual size is probably millimeters at best, but you might as well be right. playing, you know, with something huge. So and what yeah, about, it um, makes a difference. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And what about strings? Do you, what, what gauge strings do you use? Um, I've, I've been using lately, um, we've been lucky to have a uh, DDR endorsement. Nice. Um, I was on Elixir for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, because I, I kill strings, uh, the acidic hands, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, same here, so buddy. <laughs> I, <laughs> so I can't, if, if I, and I don't really enjoy changing mandolin strings. So if mm -hmm. I, uh, if I use regular uncoated strings, I would just be changing them probably every day or every other day. Yeah. Um, so, um, anyway, when we got the Diodario, I switched to, um, EXPs and, um, they don't last quite as long as Elixir, but they have better tolerance. So I'm glad I made the switch. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. So, uh, cause I used to be like, well, I have to use Elixirs because even the EXPs, they just won't last long enough. But, um, I've found that it, they've lasted long enough to be worth the, the tone, you know, yeah. you gain. What uh, what size do you use? Like the seventy fours, seventy fives? Well, I've been using the uh, the like custom mediums seventy mm fours. -hmm. Oh, nice! You know where the yeah. a the a string and the e strings are um a little bit thicker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? so it's like I'm actually have the have the pack right here. Oh, right. Uh, Eleven points, <laughs> eleven point five on the e string, uh, sixteen on the a. Um, and I I found that. Especially, I just recently switched to these um, from a recommendation from John Reichman, actually. Oh, and, nice. And uh, it actually, it makes a big difference. I always had trouble with the A strings. I felt like they were kind of loose feeling, and I just, like, they I, they didn't, when I was picking, you know, right-hand picking, it just, the A strings just kind of, I felt I couldn't really grab them with the pick the same way I could the other strings. Mm -hmm. um, so these have really helped with that. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna get tone advice from somebody, I think John Reichman's a pretty uh pretty safe guy to get tone advice from too from strings. Oh yeah, that guy sounds sure. so good. Did you um how did you uh <laughs> yeah. how how did that meeting come about? Did you were you guys on the some same gigs or? Yeah, uh, we've uh, been at a few festivals together. Um, this was about a year ago. We played um in uh in uh Canada at Souk Souk. Uh, yeah. yeah, so British Columbia, there's a uh -huh. festival out there. Um, and it's funny, I just saw him again uh, about a couple of weeks ago, again in Canada. Oh, no kidding. So at, at the Blueberry Bluegrass Festival. So I guess I'll just run into him in Canada all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I'll have to check him out. I use yeah. the, I've been using the J75s, but I'll have to check out those, uh, um, those 74s. Those are uh, with the, because I, I love the, um, I like the 11 and a half E string. I think that adds a um just adds a little bit of fatter tone to the soloing so but i've been using those 75 for a bit yeah um so yeah, uh, let's, for sure going back here a little bit too so let's just talk more like some technique stuff so um like how would we approach like when you talk about learning songs like when you practice regimen how do you approach learning something new um i <laughs> you know early on playing guitar it was you know you look up the tab yeah, absolutely but you find out <laughs> yeah you find out uh 
pretty early when learning mandolin. There's not a lot of tab out there. Mm-hmm. At least there wasn't when I was uh, learning. There might be more now. Um, so I just learned everything by ear. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, I try to, you know, once you play mandolin long enough, you can just, if you're learning a mandolin tune, like transcribing actual mandolin part, you can, uh, you hear patterns and stuff. And mm-hmm. it's just, it, it becomes easier and easier. Like you can hear, oh, he's playing the A on the E string or whatever, the high A, you know. Right. Um, and and so, yeah, every once in a while I have to actually slow something down, but I try not to. Sure. Because um, you may as well get some ear training out of it. <laughs> right, right. Do you write it out when you're working on it or do you do it by memory? Uh, I'll I'll do it by memory mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'll, rec- I'll record myself playing it slower. Uh-huh. Um, especially if it's not a, like you said, if it's not a mandolin tune, like if I'm transcribing a, a, a jazz solo or something, right. I'll record it on the mandolin slower, and that way I can, that's kind of like retaining it that way. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So how did, uh, I, I probably should have asked this right before I asked the, the transcribing thing, but so how does a pudding, you put two music books out with Mel Bay, how does that come about? Because that's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty awesome experience i mean to that not a lot of people have under their belt you know that's how did the, how did putting out a couple of mandolin books come about yeah well um when i was in my one kind of gripe when i was in music school <laughs> yeah. uh, learning how to improvise was you know just learn the scale mm-hmm. and then just switch scales and that's kind of how they taught and i it, it just didn't really resonate with me i could do it but it just sounded like I was playing scales. Sure. Um, and so, and for other people, this might've been like obvious from the beginning, but maybe I was just an idiot or something. But, <laughs> um, you know, when you're soloing, you know, your most important notes are going to be the actual notes of the chords. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if you're playing, let's say in G and you're playing a G major scale, it's your scale but it's over a G chord, the notes you're going to want to emphasize are the actual notes of the G chord, mm-hmm. G, B, and D. Right. Um, even though there's a lot more in the scale. Um, and so I went back and I realized that if you, instead of being like, okay, we're in the key of G, use the G scale. If you, you know, playing around the chords um, is just really the way to go, just breaking it down and, um, so I started thinking about, well, you know, no one really taught me this. And yeah, some bluegrass players say play around the chords, um, but I don't really know if anybody's really ever kind of written this out. Right. Um, from And so I just, I re, the same way I break down, you know, technique things, like if I'm struggling with something, I broke it down to the very basics and said, okay, if you learn all the notes of, of a G chord of the arpeggio on the entire mandolin, then you have a home base no matter what. If there's a G major chord you, and you know those notes, you have a note to land on. Mm-hmm. No matter the song, no matter the circumstance, it will work 100% of the time. <laughs> right. Um, so if you learn that for every chord, um, then you you have all the, you know, all your kind of, that's kind of your building block. And then, uh, then you add notes. So from G, from the G arpeggio, you go to the G pentatonic, um, major pentatonic. For you know, we're getting getting really into the theory. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, and so I would I would list those as the second most important notes. 
and then you get and then you get to the major scale, but you can't play a G major scale every time there's a G chord. Right. But you can play the arpeggio. Yes, exactly. Um, and the, and those same rules work even when you get up into jazz. If there's a G, you know, major seven sharp eleven. If you know that arpeggio, mm-hmm. no matter what, when that chord pops up, you you'll be able to emphasize those notes. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. So anyway, so that was that was kind of my my big revelation. Like I said, I think other people probably just knew that, and maybe they didn't teach it <laughs> that way because they thought you should know that already. But um, I just I kind of learned it and I applied it to the mandolin. And, yeah. Um, it goes a long way to not feel lost, you know, no matter the song, you know, just to know that no matter what, if you know the chords, you're going to be able to improvise something to this song yeah absolutely well i think you're onto something because i mean if like like even like the mandolin cafe when you look at the message board i mean a lot of times it's always like how do you solo how do you become better at soloing and i think like if somebody is new listening to this and going like oh my gosh he's a g and the b and the d and learning the arpeggio up in the neck well the beautiful thing about learning on the mandolin is it all lays out pretty similar you learn even if you just figure out you know, I, I'm very a strong believer in you should know the notes that you're playing and not just the patterns. You know, you should know a G, B, and D, but you should also know that you, once you start transposing that to like that C chord, like the shape of the, you know, these shapes lay out perfectly for you. And once you know them, you just kind of move them around to the other keys and listen and, and, and you know, get to know the notes, but it lays out so easily on a mandolin. To me, anyway, especially right. compared to a yeah. guitar, you know, that B string. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, the pesky B string. The pesky yeah. B string, man. But you know, like on the mandolin, <laughs> it's just it's it's um for whatever reason it just um made sense to me to where, you know, like I you know, I play guitar first as well, but I don't I couldn't say I could solo as well on a guitar like I can on a mandolin. I feel completely comfortable on a mandolin in pretty much any circumstance. And I've played in some jazz bands around here as well, and it's the same thing. It's if you just take the time to learn these little things and then realize, oh man, this lays out right here <laughs> right yeah and i feel the exact same way you know when I'm, i've actually uh, started working more on guitar lately and mm-hmm. it's you know it can be frustrating because i feel like comfortable on mandolin but then to go to guitar where the technique is pretty similar but then to you know not be able to do the same things can be a little frustrating oh but, for sure um for sure <laughs> i like that uh the method is very, you know, the the method I wrote is very, very theoretical, um, and it can be daunting, but it's not meant to be. You know, if you if you take two months and you say I've gotten through your book, I'm I'm going to say no, you haven't. Right. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah. Um, it's it's supposed to be more of a just a companion, you know. Um, and I think that there's nothing wrong with learning patterns and licks and things but then after a while you're just going to sound like everyone else Mm -hmm. you're going to play licks you know which licks are important if you want to sound bluegrass you need to learn some bluegrass licks right right um but to know why the bluegrass licks work i think is important and if you want everyone to branch out um you won't just be playing bluegrass licks over everything you know yeah exactly Um, and uh so anyway so that's you know the main I guess point is just to really break down what is improvising, you know, what is going on musically. Um, and I say, if you can look at your fretboard and visualize all the notes, or let's say of a G major chord, if you can look at the fretboard and see them all without playing in any kind of pattern, mm-hmm. 
then I, I think you're 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 done with that chord. Then move on to the next. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. And I think a lot of people, like especially if you're just going to a jam and you're not familiar with stuff, just knowing the one, the three, and the five. Um, I forget who I just I just talked to somebody about this on one of these interviews before. But if you're not familiar with it, nothing sounds more impressive. Most of the time, the melody of that song, if somebody's singing or playing. Uh, and it's just, you know, like a traditionally sort of written song. It's you're, If you find the one, three, or the five right away when you're soloing, you can almost always pick out the melody or get pretty close to it and sound like you've known the song as opposed to just blindly like, well, I guess I'll just uh, climb the G major scale, like you said, in the in the key of G. I think if you just right. take a little bit of time to figure out the, the one, three, and the five and know that most likely the vocal melody is going to be based around one of those notes, starting on one of those notes that you have like a huge step up um, with some other players who don't take the time. And it's a relatively easy thing to, uh, to, to put into play. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not as complicated as it seems. I've, I've had people pick up the book and being like, Oh, this is too complicated for me. You know, they see a little bit of theory and they just, you know, freak out or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just really, it's, it's, it's not that bad. It's no, not no. that yeah, book two. Yeah, I mean, book two is a lot to unpack. I, I will say for sure, there's a lot of killer information in there. Like anybody, I mean, book one as well. Uh, you know, um, like yeah. book two. Well, is book like two. A, yeah, I mean that that's a different level. But, yeah, but yeah. it's awesome. Like when I got that, I mean, when I um when I saw it was available, like oh sweet, I'll check this out. And I was just like, holy cow, this is a this is not a book you necessarily work front to back from. This is one that you can find some cool. You could just open up to whatever page and start digging around. And be like, oh, I want to work on you know something from this area of it today which is always kind of inspiring because then it just leads you down a path that you're not really sure where you were going in the first place so right yeah and you know speaking more on you know the vocal melodies i mean this theory is how they people wrote the melody even if they knew it or not you right, know right. it was just their ear you know they're going to land on the chord tones because you know if you ever try landing on the c note over a G chord, it it doesn't sound good. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly. Unless you're going for that suspended <laughs> sound or something. Right, right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so now's the time of the podcast where I like to ask the the ten minute question. I like to call it, and that is, if you had ten minutes today to pick up your mandolin to get better at something, what is something that you would work on uh, again if you just had ten minutes today to do it? Hmm. So I think that that's. Uh, for me, it's a little bit of a loaded question. Sure. Um, no, that's all <laughs> because, right. Because um, I also look at practicing as there's two different things. Mm -hmm. There's musical practicing and then there's like, quote unquote, working out. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, and then once you once you develop a little bit of speed, and I'm sure you you know this, if you take some days off, then it goes, that's the first thing that goes away is your you know, just your strength, like your ability to play fast. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, and the bad news is the better you get, the, the more, you know, you're, you're kind of base level no matter what will go up. But, you know, it, you know, your high levels kind of start dropping off too mm -hmm. really quickly. Yeah. Um, so I'm saying all this, if I only had 10 minutes to practice, mm -hmm. I, I'm going to run more like, you know, exercises for technique and sure. strength and things um, because I have to keep that up. Yeah. You know what I mean? So what's an exercise, what's an exercise you would do to maybe, to maybe do something like that, like to build that up, just like scale patterns or like a form of scale patterns. Yeah. I think uh, running 
uh, playing fiddle tunes is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then outside of that, I will probably, you know, I'll run a few scales, but I will also um, do those right-handed exercises, you know, yeah. cross-picking exercises, you know, even something as simple as picking each string four times yep. and going up and down, up and down, up and down, yeah. or two times, three times, what, pick, pick your number. That's, that's always like the most basic right-hand exercise I tell everyone is, you know, okay, pick each string, even if it's seven, pick it seven times, but keep alternating every time. Mm-hmm. And um, no matter what, even when you're switching strings, and that'll um, kind of get your technique better. Yeah, um, that's a great one. A lot that, that odd number picking and then remembering when you're going to the next string to keep in the, uh, the down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, and not down up down down up down you know i mean i guess depending on what type of music you're playing but that's a that's been a big one for me is really paying attention the maintaining down up you know down up down all the time and is it you especially i find if i'm screwing something up in a fiddle tune or a fast fiddle tune then when i break it down 99 percent of the time it's me screwing up like you know doing two upstrokes in a row coming maybe back up and i'm like oh there it is right. <laughs> that's where yeah, i'm stumbling I mean, yeah, and that's you know, and that's what I was talking about with breaking down um, why you're screwing up. Most of the time, it is mm-hmm. a right hand thing. Yeah, you know, it's it's something you're tripping up, switching strings, and that's really switching strings is the hardest part. You know, I mean, almost like a, a complete beginner can like play really fast on one string, you know, pretty early on. Sure, but you know, switching strings. Um, so that's what I focus on is switching strings. Oh, awesome. Right um, awesome. Do you have like a favorite fiddle tune that you do like to play currently? Yeah, I've been uh, playing uh, Rebecca a lot lately. I think that one's a... um, well, one, because I, I was playing, uh, this was a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, at uh, Mandomania at Merle Fest. Uh-huh. And, I, and I, you know, I'd heard the tune, but I didn't really know it. And uh, the way that goes is you essentially, you just, you get on stage um, with all these other mandolin players. And, you know, this year it was Sierra Old, Sam Bush. Um, who else was there? Uh, I... Uh, I'll have to think about more about that. But uh, um, anyway, so everyone calls the tune and then you just play it. And mm-hmm. you don't talk about it beforehand. You just get on stage to play, you know. And so someone called Rebecca. Oh, man. <laughs> and I, you know, and it's it's got a little crooked part. To yeah, it, it does. So I didn't really, I didn't know it. And, you know, I, I survived. But, I, you know, from that day, I was like, I'm going to learn this tune. And so, and I think it's a great, it, uh, left-hand-wise, it doesn't really... It's very, it uses a lot of arpeggios, so it's kind of a great exercise to play, mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah. yeah and that's, a, that's kind of been my current jam. Yeah, I love that I song. That's a, uh, that's a great one. <laughs> Three I, years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, um, first time I ever heard it was like I had gotten like a, a bootleg of Thiele and Brian Sutton playing at Telluride on the Elks Park stage. And, uh, <laughs> and they were like, uh, they say, you know, like they played Rebecca and he's like, yeah, it's kind of like a new standard. I'm like, wow, I've never even heard it. I, I'm so, <laughs> what are these new, st- new standard? What are these songs? You know, but I was like, holy cow, what a great song. So, um, and yeah. then, um, so you had the books that came out and again, I would recommend them to anybody. Um, especially if anybody felt 
you know, uh, intimidated by hearing the one, three, five talk and stuff like that. Book one's a great book and it's really digestible and really helpful, I think. And um, now you're saying you also do some video game music and some uh, YouTube videos as well, correct? Yeah. Um, so when I'm at home, I've been uh, composing for a couple of games right now, mm-hmm. possibly a third coming nice. up. Uh, uh, but, uh, and, you know, they're, they're small games. Um, and so this has always been a passion of mine, uh, soundtrack music. Yeah. Um, and using some of what I learned in college to, you know, to branch out a little bit and get, you know, get a breather sometimes away from, you know, the, the day job, so to speak, <laughs> of playing mandolin and stuff. Right. Um, but also to go along with that, I've been, uh, me and actually my roommate in college, I was talking about the bluegrass guitarist. We, we started a company together called uh, Box Monkey Studios, um, and that's the video game music company. But we also have a YouTube channel where we uh, will do acoustic guitar and mandolin. Sometimes just mandolin. I'll do I'll just record all the parts at once uh-huh. and then, you know, kind of put them all together. Um, and uh, we do video game covers of, yeah. you know, more popular songs. Yeah, and I, that's, just, you I know. recall just seeing one actually just not too long ago. Now that you say that, when you said the video game covers, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's awesome, man. <laughs> yeah, and it's been fun to, you know, one, it's you're learning different kinds of music on your instrument than what you normally do. So, you, you know, sometimes it might be kind of awkward under the fingers, but that's good. Awkward is good, you know, so you work that out. Um, and you're also learning how the how these video game songs were written, you know. So it's, it's just kind of a win-win. Yeah, you know, and it's fun. There's a video I just saw too of the uh, the guy who wrote like a lot of those Nintendo tunes, like the Mario Brothers and Zelda. And they went through and found like his influences that influenced some of the songs, from, like these like even like some crazy like 70s and 80s jazz. And they go A and B. I don't know if you've seen that video, but it's amazing <laughs> to be like, oh my gosh. That it's is... funny you mentioned that because I saw someone talking about that on Reddit, I think, but I, I haven't had a chance to watch it. Oh, I think no kidding. Literally yesterday. Okay, yeah, I, I think it must have just been. That. It must have just come out in the last couple of weeks because I think it like popped up in my YouTube feed, or maybe it might have been Reddit actually that I saw it on as well. Yeah, you got to watch it. It's amazing to be like, oh wow, get out of here. <laughs> it's just you know. <laughs> Uh, pretty cool, especially yeah, you know. He's great. Yeah, uh, Koji Kondo. Is yes. His name. Yeah, yeah he's I didn't awesome. want to slaughter his name. I'm like, I'm not even going to say the name. I'll say the guy from Nintendo because there was no way I probably would have said it right. <laughs> I might be saying it wrong, but I think yeah. it, I, I imagine that's right. So, it sounds right. <laughs> and you guys have um, some some possibly some singles coming out here this year and a new album potentially next year. Yeah, so we've been working on a uh, album for probably the last three years, two or three years. Mm-hmm just on and off um and uh, we've been lucky to uh have uh, chuck plotkin produce and uh if you don't know chuck he uh he did a lot of springsteen stuff in the 80s like born in the usa and stuff um wow so we've been we've been lucky to have him on and he's just he's just awesome um but the process is taking a long time but we finally we have 20 songs mixed Holy and ready cow. so we're just we're figuring out how to release them and we're actually um, we'll probably have some news on that in the next month or so. Oh, nice, man. Um, but in the meantime, we recorded a couple of fun covers that we like doing. Yeah. That we don't have recorded, that are not on the live album. Um, and with those should be coming out pretty soon, I think within the next month or so. Oh, awesome. Um, I think they're going to be digital only, though. Sure. But, um, so, yeah. 
that's a whole new world, huh? Like releases, like oh, yeah. 20 songs I can see where you're like, wow, now, now what do we do? That's amazing. The 20 you said working on three years, I thought you were going to say, well, we got like six or seven songs just about right now. 20, holy cow, man, that's, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and, you know, we'll have multiple releases from them. Sure. You know, so I think it's, it's worth it, you know. Absolutely. So that's it'll, man, it'll that's awesome. It'll sustain us a while, hopefully. Sure. How did you bump into him as far as, uh, as far as you know, just like, you heard your stuff, or you guys met him on as like a like an acquaintance, or because that's a pretty impressive person to have working with you. Yeah, well, you know, ironically, we're playing Larry Fest in Wisconsin this weekend, mm-hmm. and uh, we met. So the album's uh, co-produced by, by him and uh, a guy named Hank Linderman, um, and he also engineered the album. And so we met Hank at Larry Fest. Maybe I guess that was three or four years ago. Um, and he, his wife was good friends with Chuck's son. <laughs> so it just kind of, you know, so we, uh, and they're from LA. So, um, they actually, Hank was the one that mixed the, uh, live in LA record. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, so, uh, we just, I guess, met Chuck through Hank and then decided we wanted to do an album together with them co-producing. And, um, like I said, it's been a long process, but we're really happy with the stuff that we got and we uh actually added drums to it so oh nice we're man. about to make a about to make a shift i think yeah um probably next year nice as far as that goes yeah that's cool man that's exciting stuff well you're you're yeah. a busy guy tommy i appreciate you taking the time today and um and uh talking some mandolin stuff this has been this has been an awesome conversation Sure. Thanks. This has been fun. Thanks for having me. Oh, man. Absolutely. Thank you so much, buddy. And um, I will talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you. All right. And there you have it. Episode number nine in the books. Thanks again to Tommy. Be sure to check out the Barefoot Movement and Tommy Norris on Instagram and Facebook and their websites. And next week, our guest, Matt Flinner. Thanks so much, everybody. Cheers. Have a great week.